This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Blog Talk Radio. I think on well 
I shouldn't say on the schedule now because there's a lot more on the schedule. <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to this. It's the third time they tried to have this fight. Obviously, um, in China, coronavirus in February canceled it the first time. Then we know what happened here. But finally, uh, Jose Ramirez and Victor Postal um, are going to be fighting this weekend. I believe that's actually on ESPN+. Plus. Like a month ago, they, they said that both these back-to-back fights would be on ESPN. Um, now they're on ESPN plus. I mean, I knew about the one last week, but for some reason I thought it was going to be on ESPN. I'm sure though that I know there was a UFC card, um, this last go around and there's probably basketball or something like that, that takes the, the priority, but, um, it's a good fight. Ramirez looked really good, uh, against hooker, but that fight before it was, I mean, that was a really close fight. Postal is a really good fighter. Um, you know, he, he took on uh, Taylor and, and did really well. I thought he did really well, probably like eight to four, something like that. So that's going to be a good fight. Um, and then Jeff Horn actually fights later. To, well, not tonight, I suppose, tomorrow morning. It's probably at about, give or take, 15 hours or something like that, 13 hours, somewhere in there. Uh, Arislandi Lara returns in a stay-busy fight. But the Truex Angulo fight I do have some interest in. As far as crossroads fights, um, so that's uh, that's pretty interesting. We're going to talk about a variety of stuff. Frank Warren uh, has some claims about Fury and Wilder uh, having to take place in 2020. Um, kind of interesting, especially when you look at Anthony Joshua and Eddie Hearn and some of the things that Eddie Hearn has talked about, how he really more cares about having all the belts. So maybe that'll be back-to-back Mandos, um, you know, for Joshua. Obviously, Pulev's coming up more than likely, right, in December, I believe. Um, first two weeks of December, I think, is when, when they're kind of messing around with the dates. But, you know, um, Usyk and the – is it the WBO, I believe? Um, they're going to go to court, they say. They're going to fight it if not. So um, we're going to talk about that, Frank Warren. There's a little bit of audio. Same with Eddie Hearn. Actually, some Eddie Hearn audio just randomly about Wilder, um, where it's like, oh, really? <laughs> okay. Um, we will get in a little bit more to the Canelo uh, zone drama going on. Um, they're talking about a purse bid potential. And could we maybe see a lawsuit? Um Yildrum's manager said something about the purse bid and how they're going to get Al Heyman involved and and they want to try to win this purse bid. Obviously, there's some contractual things that have to go on there because, as we know, Canelo's on the zone. (laughs) Um, So we'll talk a little bit about that. It's kind of crazy, though, to know that it seems pretty steady now that they wanted to drop Canelo's money regardless unless it was Golovkin. Like, We've now heard for a while, Callum Smith, uh, he was even going to have to take a pay cut. And they're talking about maybe half of his money to fight Callum Smith. And it's like, so you want to you wanna cut half of his money that you said? It doesn't even make sense to cut half because in the end, they don't get the gate money, do they? They can still sell it all over the world and put it, you know, and put it on their own zone or other platforms, you know, matters which countries, obviously. But 
I know they want to do the rollout anyway. It just seems weird. Isn't Kelly Smith a really good rollout for the UK? And why would you cut his money halfway? So maybe this whole Yildirim is like, all right, guys, the reason why I said, hey, can I fight Yildirim for that WBC 168 belt was, all right, if you're going to pay me half, here's what I want for half. Otherwise, it's going to put me in a purse bid situation. Your move. You know what I mean? So we might see a lawsuit. We might, I don't know. We're, we're going to see some random stuff. Um, I'll also briefly talk about Keith Thurman um, and Bob Arum. Uh, first, it was sounded like Bob, like the rumor was that Bob, or not Bob, but Thurman, um, we know Al Heyman and Thurman sent basically their demands, <laughs> I guess you could say. Uh, basically, like not an offer, but hey, this is what it's going to take. Um, and the first number we heard was five, and then we heard ten. I don't know if it's ten or five or eight or whatever the hell it is. I'm assuming it's more than um, – you know, instead of like counter-offering or starting the talks, uh, Bob just decided to shoot it down and say, no, they're done. Now, maybe they brought the – you know, Al Heyman in that side said it's an ultimatum, take it or leave it. But didn't Bob just the other week say take it or leave it to Teofimo? We saw how that worked. But it's kind of funny because I'm going to just touch upon this subject a little bit. But it's funny because then all of a sudden we hear, and Bomac had some stuff to say too about Al Heyman. But, but then we hear now Kel Brook and Eddie Hearn and company uh, you know, with top rank, are now fully in negotiations. So it's kind of like, well, the Pacquiao stuff doesn't seem like it's going to happen based off what Bob said about it and the fact that there's not a site fee someplace willing to really splurge at this moment. And also Pacquiao's side, they've made it clear that there hasn't been real negotiations. So if you kept saying this Pacquiao thing, cool, okay, well, why don't you just add Thurman? Why don't you just negotiate with Kell Brook and Thurman, you know, maybe you can put some pressure on the other one getting done. I don't know, but to go around and shoot it down to me is just kind of like, okay, man. <laughs> like it just tells me that you you don't want the fight. You're willing to negotiate with other fighters. But like I said, Thurman 10 mil, we can sit there and debate that all we want. That's fine. I'm not saying, oh, he should get at least 10 mil. That's not what I'm saying, but. It's something we're talking about. So there's a variety of other uh, fight news items, of course, that I'll get to. Um, and then, you know, a, a short little boxing Twitter segment. Um, and some other news, like Regis Prograce uh, found a home, uh, at least for now anyway. But we're going to get into it in just a moment here. We're going to get into this recap in a second, like I said. Um, but if this is your first time listening to the Rope Dope Radio podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Ropadope radio, radio, excuse me. However, you don't have to just go to, you know, blog talk and download it or listen to it in the browser. You can find the Ropadope radio podcast, which is boxing and football and basketball as well at Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Player FM, TuneIn, Stitcher, really all across the board. We're also part of the Grueling Truth sports podcast network which can be found everywhere including spotify uh while you're at it why don't you head on over to the gruelingtruth.com that's the gruelingtruth.com like i said it's boxing football basketball 
baseball, everything in between. And one more thing before we get this puppy started. I got something for you here. If you're, if you just cut the cord or you're thinking about cutting the cord, you're just not happy. You need something. I got something for you. AT&T TV now. It's live streaming cable. I use it myself. And right now they got some deals going on. Obviously, you have the seven-day free trial. Once you sign up, the plans start as low as $55 a month. There's no annual contract. You can stream it anywhere. And uh, they do have the cloud DVR as well. Now, right now, if you sign up, you do get 30 free days, a free trial of HBO Max. However, if you go with the AT&T TV Now Max package, that includes HBO Max right now, and also a free month of Showtime. Um, normally on AT&T TV Now, Showtime's $11, just for you boxing heads out there. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty good deal, especially HBO Max in there. It's AT&T TV Now, like I said, live streaming cable. Okay, let's get into some of this recap because we had a lot. And like I said the other day, or the other day, well, I suppose it is kind of the other day, right? <laughs> um, like I said, like a couple of times now recently, it's just nice to have so much boxing you can't even watch every fight. You know, like there can literally be, I mean, even with these shortened cards where there only be five or six, you know, fights that happen, you can still have over 20 fights in a weekend easy. And, you know, I don't have the time to watch all those. And a lot of it has to do with I don't have every Saturday night off either, you know, so that or Saturday day and off, uh, in night off. So that that kind of plays into it. But I got to say, it's really nice, man. It's really nice to, to have it back, no doubt about it. Um, let's get into the big one. Dillian White, Alexander Povekin, as we know, this was for, what, the interim WBC, but a shot. It was supposed to be a shot at the Wilder Fury trilogy winner, or you just get the belt. You know, you would just literally, if White won, he would have just got the belt if they dropped that belt, whoever won that fight. So, um, but in this fight, they were both jabbing decently. Some of them were landing well, but I thought Povekin with those short shots, um, especially to the body, I thought that's what. Uh, he was kind of landing the best punches. And I thought in the first two rounds, I, I gave him those first two rounds. Now, um, White started, I felt like, landing, you know, his uh, his jab a little bit better. And that's where he kind of took over the fight more. He was also, like, ducking down in anticipation for that overhand right. Uh, where, you know, I, I mentioned last week that many people did that little crouching overhand right that he throws and those short hooks and uppercuts on the inside and of course the short uppercut got him but yeah first two rounds for me were Povekin um there was white landed I think like early 30 some odd seconds into that third round a whacking a whack a whacking a whacking I actually wrote it wrote it on the page wrong here a whacking right hand and he followed it up with a nice left hand Povekin landed a nice overhand right. He got to the bottom, jab pretty well. But I think it was the steady jab and then some body attack late that won that third round for White. Fourth round, obviously, that was a white round. White round. He, uh, he scored two knockdowns in there. I think it was the, the first one was like 40 seconds into the round, two right hands, maybe a short left uh, 
to knock him down. Uh, Povetkin, though, to give him credit, he actually rallied to the head and body with a lot of punches, but then like a left uppercut, like a short shot, knocked him down again. And at that point, it's like, man, it, it, this – this this is this isn't going the distance, and there was a good shot that this wasn't going the distance anyway in the fight, you know, heading into it. Um, so it was a 10-7 round. Clearly, White got up, started landing his jab really nicely, um, and before you know it, uh, like near the ropes, not up against the ropes per se, but very near the ropes, um, a short left uppercut just completely iced out White. I mean, Dillian was froze, and then it was just like timber, and he was out. There was no reason to even come close to counting. Really a shocker in the sense of how you just saw the last round play out. Is it just a completely shocker? No. I mean, there's a good chance this could be a knockout, but when you just knock a guy down, although he rallied in that round, you knocked him down again after that. You know, it, it was a shocker. It really was. Povetkin looked good in those first two rounds, like I mentioned. I thought he looked really good, but I didn't see, like, what the commentary and the commentary in the ta- uh, Taylor Pearson fight I thought was bad early. But um, even this one, to me, it was like Povetkin looked pretty good. I didn't see all this slow stuff. I thought he looked better than he did in his last fight against Hunter. So, um Shots out to Pavekin for this one. This this is uh, this one got me, dude. I was I was sitting there like, oh my god, because I worked that night. I closed the bar, came home, popped this on, and I'm just sitting there in my living room, shocked. And I was watching with my buddy, and we're just like, oh my god, you know what I mean? We're just assuming he's about to get knocked out, Pavekin. Like, all right, this is his last stand. Then he got knocked down again, like I said about after that rally, and, and he's gonna he's gonna get knocked out the next. Kudos to Pavekin, man. That was major. And now, after clearly what was a concussion, um, White White said he wants the rematch, obviously, and I I appreciate that. But, you know, his his promoter, Eddie Hearns, talking about, well, he can have, like, I heard in an interview, I think, on Boxing Social yesterday or the day before. And he was like, well, you know, we could get back in November. And that would give him about, he's fine. You know, that would give him about three weeks off and then go back into a camp. Cause some camps I noticed with heavyweights and maybe it's because they get even more out of shape. I don't think that's the case though, because they don't have to make an exact weight. So I just noticed with heavyweights, they have 10 to 12 week camps. It seems like. And I also noticed in the UK, they do maybe the first like chunk of weeks are like, like literally two or three, four weeks are like really getting a lot of the rust off too and maybe working on the weight. And then the last, you know, eight weeks are like more intense. Maybe that is, but I just, something I've noticed, you know, if anyone wants to text me or direct message me or something like that and explain that to me, because I've noticed that a lot with UK fighters, um, but especially with heavyweights, some heavyweights. Um, But it's just kind of weird. Like you got concussion punched take three weeks off, get back in the camp, and then fight him in November. It just, it seems kind of rushed, even an extra month. And I know it's a schedule thing. That's the way Eddie talked about how, well, we can't really 
We don't have room for him in December. And they have a pay-per-view lined up already with Anthony Joshua. There was a little bit of discussion of putting that on the um, undercard in that interview, and I'm going to play that audio. But, um, wow, <laughs> what a shocker, dude. That was uh, Pavekin did not want to go away in his career. He saw the crossroads. He saw the uh, the fork in the road, and he turned around, pulled the Yui, and knocked out Dillian White with an uppercut in the fifth round. Man, that was uh, that was wild. And you know, in a sense, it's not that you could see this coming. Um, last week, though, um, I did mention I did that. You know, on the show and in my uh, my predictions article for Grueling Truth, I did mention that you know there were times where he's either had some close fights like the Chisora fights, right? Or he had some moments late in fights where he was hurt really, really bad. Parker, Rivas, like there was times where he was hurt really bad. And at some point, you know, uh, in a close fight or like I said, troubled late in fights, that's going to come up to get you. And especially at heavyweight. And, uh, you know, he just, he was just, it wasn't a lucky punch. But it was an unlucky situation. Let's put it that way. Um, and I got to admit, although I, I got paid on a plus 160 on um, Joe Smith Jr., I and I did make a little money on Povekin because I saw him at more than a 3-to-1 underdog. I figured I'd put a little something on it. But I didn't, I, I'm kind of disappointed now um, that I didn't, I didn't put quite enough on it to really go, yeah, dude, that was a, you know, it was a very small amount. So I really wish that I would have put a, like triple what I put on it. That would have been really nice, but I'm not going to sit there and act like I did. Um, so we'll see how that rematch goes. It's, you got to hear me out, especially UK fans. Listen, I'm not ripping Eddie Hearn here for nothing. Um, I just think once you've had a concussion, I don't think it's safe to just three weeks later get back into camp, and then that means in the following weeks, it's one thing to get back in the gym, right, and stay in shape and all that. I guess he's going back to where he did. Where, where, is it Portugal or Spain, or where does he go? I can't remember where he goes to, to train, but it sounds like he's going to take a vacation, which obviously is much needed and well-deserved. But my point is, if you start camp in three weeks, that means sparring's not all that far behind, and that obviously means taking damage. So, to an extent, anyway. I know you had the headgear and the bigger gloves, but I just don't know if you want to rush back. And I know if the fight's in November, you say, well, dude, it's not even September yet. I hear you, dude, but is three weeks enough for sure? Could he be making a mistake? Could he just an extra month off help him and go early January or something like that? My point is the way he talked about it was like, well, if we hurry up and get this fight, then we can push the WBC to push another mandatory, you know, in, in the rankings and stuff like that, which I understand is his goal, but you got to fight or sink. Anyway, the co-feature Taylor Persone, this was another fun fight. Uh, with Persone, it's hard not to be at least entertained. Now, she's raw and she misses a lot, sure, but she's very effective what she does, as was Katie Taylor, especially when she kind of – it took her a little while to figure it out. Actually, she 
I, actually, I thought she did pretty good early. Persone kind of took the fight over. She took it back. It was a back and forth fight. Um, Katie now is what sixteen and zero. I think it's her opponent was like forty four and two heading in, or forty two and two, or something like that. Um, the first round was really close, though. Um, Taylor probably her counter left hooks were probably the best shot. I gave it to Taylor, but it was close. Um, hooks to the body and right hands to the body, along with the jab, was coming for Persona and her pressure. Um, right away, what what second third round. Uh, Persone's eye was swelling up pretty quickly. It had like a little little cut on there as well. Um, and she did, they didn't show any replay of that. They just uh, assumed it was a cut. To me, it kind of felt like there should have been a replay. But I think the jab and left hooks were just a little bit more effective. So I actually had Taylor win in the first, well, for sure the second round. I don't know about the first round. I'd have to go watch it again. But I did shade it to Taylor. Uh, but then the left hooks and overhand rights and just the, you know, roughing her up. <laughs> That's what Persone did in the third round. Really good action by both, but I gave it to Persone. Taylor, the fourth round, another close round, though. But several uh, flush right hands, I think, were the, the you know, the I don't know. Like, they, they were the difference. They were the cleaner punches, whereas Persone was, of course, winning the inside battle. And it was really up to Taylor. Is she going to pivot? Is she going to be on the move? Is she going to sharp counter and then get the hell out of there? Because she has a problem, Taylor, of fighting inside. She made some adjustments later, but not nearly enough. She stands, like, if you're going to be there, you know, put your guard up a little higher. I did think she did some upper body movement later that helped her, but she's either, when she tries to hold or clinch, she, like, extends herself so much out where she's not close enough to persona. And so she was just getting hit. She was getting, I'm not going to say 100% dominated, but she was definitely not getting the best of, whereas persona was obviously getting the best of the inside work. And then I thought persona actually went on a little bit of run. That pressure, that body work, a few overhand rights to me, got the fifth round for her, got the sixth round the work rate to the head and body. Like I said, this is when it was Taylor standing in front of her. So I thought it kind of evened out the fight. I had it 3-3 after 6. But I thought Taylor, I gave Taylor the 7th the and the 8th and the ninth. Um, the stick and move, the pivot, still close rounds, though. You know what I mean? But um, And Taylor actually got a little lump on her forehead. But the early and late stuff, especially in the eighth round. she It seemed like she was finally clearing space for herself at times. That's another thing I wanted to say about the inside. It's like not just the head movement or the whole upper body movement, but she started pushing herself, you know, pushing, I should say, person, person away from her, just minorly and landing punches behind it, clearing a little space rather than getting smothered, which is what was happening. Um, but, yeah, the jams, the – the jabs, the movement. I think the ninth round was probably Taylor's best round as far as just cleanliness. You know what I mean? Left hook, right hand, movement, like I said. But then I gave Persone a few better lands um, down the stretch. Really good action down the stretch. They, they gave the, the audience a nice uh, a nice run for their money late. There was a nice flush right hand by Taylor, too. I, I put it in my notes. Um, 
but I gave Persone that round. Um, so when you look at it, it's a t- it's a tight fight. You know, it is a tight fight. I'm looking at my uh, so I gave her the fifth, the sixth, the third, and the, yeah. So I got I had it six to four. I'd be okay with a draw five to five. I definitely didn't see seven to three. I gotta say though, I didn't see six rounds clean for Persone. You know, I was I thought the you could have maybe gave it to Persone the first time, maybe. Um, I was good with the draw. Um, I think two scorecards had it ninety six ninety four, which is what I had at six to four for Taylor. And then ninety eight ninety three, that was kind of silly. Um in my opinion, opinion I, I didn't see that, but uh, a very good fight, entertaining, especially, like I said, down the stretch. They were really going for it, but I thought Taylor landed the cleaner shots just barely, and, and like I said, what did I mention, two, three swing rounds, so I'm okay with the draw. I'm not like, oh, my God, or it even could be 5-4-1. I know that's sacrilegious to, to U.S. fight fans, a lot of them. Uh, in the UK, they they still are not afraid to have a tied round, um, but I'm good with Taylor winning as well. And I thought she actually did enough to get it done. But five five six four five four one whatever. I favored Taylor. Um, another fight I just want to talk about really quick from that card: uh, Chris Congo and Luther Clay. I thought Clay started out the the first round was just slow as hell. Second round he was working his up jab. He landed a few more. Seemed like Congo was kind of wild with his hooks early, uh, but then he tightened up. Um, there was some, you know, like in spots, there'd be two-way stuff, but the better lands, the jab, the nice right hands behind it, um, and the third and the fourth was enough for Congo. Midway through, Congo had this long flurry of right and left hooks mostly. And then later in the round, he kind of went in the stick-and-move mode. Clay was a little bit more aggressive. I gave him the seventh and the eighth. He started turning up the pressure, landing just a tad more, you know. And you can see Clay was kind of sticking and moving, but also, or not Clay, but Congo, holding. He was holding a little bit there. I thought he finished pretty well. He obviously finished strong because he turned up the heat on him in, the, what, the ninth round or something like that, throwing bombs. And then uh, late in that, was it the ninth round, I believe? There was a left hook. Basically the KO because he didn't get up, but his corner – Threw in the towel as well. So, uh, nice little victory by Chris Congo. We'll kind of keep an eye on him. But overall, um, you know, the two fights that you really cared about turned out to be pretty fun, you know. Turned out to be really fun, actually. What am I saying? I'm kind of downgrading a little bit when I say, yeah, it's pretty fun. No, it was a good card. And if you paid pay-per-view in the U.K., you had to go home pretty happy. Um, Sky Sports pay per view into zone here. So all in all, it was a really good a very good weekend. But this one stood out kinda like we thought it would. Now as far as the ESPN plus, um uh Alvarez and Smith Junior, Joe Smith Junior, uh ended up winning this fight. And I gotta say, like on paper, this was supposed to be a really close fight. Like I said, I think I got it it was plus one sixty. Which isn't like even two to one, obviously. It's 1.6 to one, really. And as far as Alvarez being the underdog, anyway. And, uh, or sorry, Joe Smith Jr. Alvarez was a minor um, favorite. And he came out pretty pretty well. I thought he actually kind of closed. Um, 
he closed a little weak compared to Smith, but to me, the what he did in the start of the round, and even midway, he barely won that opening round. But then you really couldn't, maybe the seventh round, I'm looking at my scorecards, but after, I mean, there wasn't much. You know, this was much more one-sided than I thought. Um, Smith, early enough, even in the second round, started trapping him on the ropes. And that's where I wanted to see, is Alvarez going to be able to operate off the ropes? Is he going to be on the move the whole fight? His comfort level is really in the middle of the ring, subtle movement, tops. And really, like I said last week, a couple of the last chunk of years, he's been moving forward in fights and, and sitting down on his punches more, showing more power than his KO percentage, you know, lends, lends on to believe. But not this time. It was a style matchup. And like I said, trapping him on the ropes, um, using his jab pretty well, winging those straight right hands, short uppercuts, hooks on the inside, just landing better, outworking him. The nose started bleeding by the fourth or fifth round on Alvarez. Just steady work. Um, he just, by the fifth round or sixth round, he just looked faded. He, he'd do some good stuff, don't get me wrong. He definitely did, but, you know, some even some in that fifth round, that late left hooks and right hands, 29 of 71, you really started to see, and that's the, the punch landing and punch rate for Smith in that round, just out hustling him, out working him. And I did think maybe you could give the seventh round, that was kind of his last stand, some good uh, overhand rights, like a little spurt of him. Maybe that was enough to win that round. But even there, I have a little note saying, you know, the, the stronger closer in that round, which a lot of people, you kind of remember, judges remember that. Um, maybe even that round Smith won, I'm not sure. But um, there was about four or five rounds Really good right hands in the last minute of the eighth round. Through eight, it was 132 to 79 as far as punch lands. But look at this. So they both were landing 27%, but 485 to 295. You know, he had him almost by 200 punches thrown. I mean, he was really getting to it. Uh, ninth round, two right hands, a lead left right, or wait, it was a lead right hand. TKO. Uh, couldn't beat the count. He kind of got knocked out enough to where it looked like he was kind of out. Are you like, are you done? But then he started getting up and trying to gather himself, and it, he just didn't hit the count. You know, Some people are confused with, you know, like, well, he was already going up when he hit 10. Yeah, but you got to reach your feet by 10. You got to be going up by 8. You know, if you're not – there's been – don't get me wrong. There's been some – some ones were the nine. They stretch out that nine, right? But I thought it was a good good time to stop. He was taking a beating. There was really – and he didn't beat the count, obviously. But even if people want to talk about, well, I don't know if he beat the count or whatever, that's fine. But, I mean, come on, dude. Like, you know, he, uh, he lost. He lost the fight. Alvarez moves on. And now it looks like he may get a title shot. Uh, here soon, because that was the WBO eliminator. Now they have to uh, they have to get it figured out. They have to call who he's fighting and stuff, or when he's going to fight and whatnot. But shots out to Joe Smith Jr. Just that pressure style. He's, he's you know he's gotten better and better at it. 
over the years. I remember, was this 2015 or 16? I think it was 2016. I can't remember now. But uh, NBC uh, had Joe Smith Jr. as an opponent against uh, Fondora. Or not Fondora. <laughs> against... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's not Fondora. It's an F, though. Why am I spacing it? He fought. He was a Polish kid out of, uh, they were fighting in Chicago, and it was a big homecoming. He's the Polish prince. Why the fuck can't I think of his goddamn name? <laughs> I got to look it up for some reason. I don't know. But I, all, I do remember, though, the amount of shit. Is it, what the hell is it? I'm going to have to look it up. Um, it's going to piss me off when I see it, too. Oh, Fanfara. That's what it is. Of course, it's Fanfara. It's like when you're in the process of looking it up, you remember before you even got there. Let's see. It was 2016 now that I'm looking at it. Yep, June. I, yep, I remember this exactly. So, you know, it was kind of like a, supposed to be a, a stay busy fight. You know, I, I did see Joe Smith Jr. in a couple of fights. I remember the one he lost. He broke his, you know, he broke his jaw in two different spots at two different times in the actual fight. And, uh, you know, a lot of people thought, oh, God, you know, this is going to be an easy, easy win. This is a mismatch on, on, on network TV. What the hell? And before you know it, <laughs> it didn't matter. Because remember, he had that decent fight against Stevenson where he looked pretty good. He beat Chavez Jr. He beat uh, Cleverly. That was a brawl, Bonfire and Cleverly. So a lot of people were just assuming that this was going to be some kind of walk in the park. And Joe Smith Jr. heard him early in that, and he's made a nice little run. Obviously, the B-hop, he ended up getting beat by who, Sullivan Barrera or whatever. But all in all, good for Joe Smith Jr., man. The guy, you know, works hard during the day, you know, as a career guy. And then he's just a classic blue-collar guy inside the ring with his pressure style. And then outside the ring as well. So I'm happy for him. Um, Alvarez, you know, never never got that big top rank deal, unfortunately, when he went to go rematch Kovalev. It just didn't work out for him. But he did get some big fights in the last few years, that's for sure. Um, and even when he was fighting Boutte and older Boutte and Pascal and all that. Um, so he had a pretty good career. You know, obviously the Kovalev uh, knockout was a high moment for him. Um, hasn't gone as well since, but Joe Smith Jr. still keeps his, uh, like I said, he, he saw the fork in the road, and he pulled the U. He said, no, nah, I'm not done. All right, on to the Fox card. Um, let's talk about that gallimore Fundora fight. And I really thought, based off the first round, I mean, I gave Gallimore the first round as a competitive, but um, – Somewhere mid and especially late, he landed some hard hooks that shook up Fondora. And I wanted to see, you know, what Fondora was going to do because I know Gallimore has pop. He's not afraid to mix it up. I really wanted to see, you know, how this fight was going to play out. And I got to say, now, it was a good-ass scrap. You could tell that from the beginning of the fight. I, I figured it'd be the best fight on the card, and, of course, it was. It was one of the better probably like the third best fight of the weekend more than likely um 
Well, you know what? On paper, this was supposed to be a little closer. Not as close as the Smith-Alvarez on paper, that's for sure. But Fundora dominated this fight. It was still two-way. But after a while, it didn't take long. And then all of a sudden, you look at even the punch set, and you're like, holy shit, he is. Fundora is dominating. And, um, you know, he's so tall. He doesn't have the longest arms considering how tall he is for the weight class. So a lot of people automatically, of course, and if you're in his corner, of course you're going to think this way as well, and on the broadcast that, hey, this guy's got to use his height for Christ's sakes, you know? Like, he needs to use his damn height. Like, why isn't he using his height? And so I understand that. I do get that. Um, But in the same breath, you know, this guy's not going to do that. You know what I mean? So it just doesn't seem like he's going to do that. I don't I don't know why he just start now. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to happen. I really don't think it's going to happen. So, you know, let's see what this guy has got in general. <laughs> down, You know, inside. And the one adjustment he made, and this sounds funny because he's already inside. He's already close to his opponent. But... He actually got closer to his guy, and what I mean by that, remember how many, like, uppercuts he'd throw from a a, a bit of a distance? He's kind of close to the guy. He's definitely not on the move, but he's throwing these uppercuts from way back, and you're like, dude, if you're going to be an inside fighter, at least try to what Joe Smith Jr. did, what Persone did at times, and really smother the guy, get real close to him. And I think he actually... Um, successfully accomplished that. He got actually, if you're going to be an inside fighter, you might as well be super close. And another key little thing he did, it's a minor thing, but he would kind of rest his his glove or his elbow or his like forearm on the shoulder of uh, Gallimore, and then he tilt his head a little bit so where it was actually going to be tough to punch him. Part of being an inside fighter, being a pressure fighter, but leaving yourself so much open, and that's what he did. It was like, dude, yeah, it's fun to watch your fight, but you get clubbed, especially in the early parts of fights. He gets hit so hard with, you know, counter shots or just in exchange. And so I thought that's probably the one adjustment he made is he got actually closer to where his shoulder and his elbow and, like I said, his forearm or his glove would be near the guy's shoulder or even the one-punch hand-free inside work so i thought although it's a minor adjustment i thought that actually was something that helped him in this fight the first two rounds like i said gallimore second round could have went either way it was it was a good scrap at that hand uh, at that point um the combo punches um and in a in the third round in a in a left hand that stunned him uh by fondora and fondora i almost said fondora and then Fonfora, uh, God damn it, Fondora landed a left hand that snapped uh, Gallimore's neck back. And he was doing that a fair amount. You know, he worked to the body like he did in the fourth round, and they come up with these uppercuts that seemed to land more flush because, like I said, they weren't from left field. Um, he was just out landing them, starting to really kind of dominate and wear them down. Like I mentioned, I, he was just closer to them. So those uppercuts 
It just seemed like they had more on him, too, and he got hit a little less. Um, and halfway through, it was a TKO in the sixth round. And, and so just the way it ended, the way it went, I just didn't think Fondora would be able to get better as the fight went on because that's something he hasn't shown. You know, he usually just lands better punches, and that's how he wins. But he recently had, what was that, two fights ago he had a draw. So, you know, he's only, what, 22 years old. Clearly, this is how he's going to fight. But if he manages to be a little bit more intelligible, intelligible? Um, intelligent, and I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying he led with the jab and he had this strategic you know, game plan that was just phenomenal. I'm not trying to say that, but the minor adjustment of getting a little closer on the inside and your upper body, because he's so damn tall, his shoulders and everything, like, when you look at him, you're like, man, in, in, in five years, he actually might be a 168-pounder if he would put on weight. I just don't know if that's how – is he a late bloomer, per se? At 22, from 22 to 25, is he actually going to put on weight? I don't know, but he's got bigger shoulders, obviously. But I like the the minor adjustment, is what I'm trying to say. Um, I'm kind of blabbing here. Sorry about that, guys. Um, but you could even see, like, the last two rounds, um, I think the fourth and the fifth, something like that, he landed, like, 30 and then 38 punches. I mean, he was really letting them have it. So, um, good stoppage. Um, and we'll see where he goes from here. They've been active with him. They've been testing him. Uh, Fondori, he hasn't had a bunch of easy fights to build up his record. He's what 15 and 0 now with 10 KOs. He's got a draw, like I mentioned. So we'll see. Obviously, 54 is no walk in the park. You know what I mean? But it's wide open too, so that might help. We'll see where he goes from here. Um, Joey Spencer Jr. fighting kind of an awkward dude. What was it? Sean West, I think was his name. Um, you know, West actually right away landed like a, a right hand and a, or a left hook and a right hand. Um, but it was mostly like – it was mostly jabs and hooks for a while that Spencer was landing. Spencer kind of had to – I kind of just figure him out a little bit. Like, even in the second round, he'd land, like, a really nice left hook. Then he he landed, like, a right hand in a hard-ass combo that knocked him down and three-punch combos and all that. But in these combos, and I thought Goosen did a good job um, during the broadcast pointing this out, he kept getting caught in exchanges. Now, maybe it's the awkwardness of Wes because we know he's a boxer slash MMA guy, but... You know, he was getting caught in exchanges, excuse me, and sometimes he leaves his chin up. After that jab or left hook, he won't bring that back. That'll be low, something Goosen talked about as well. But in the fourth round, really hard right hands. It was like a body shot and then a combo TKO. It was over. Um, so Spencer kind of had a flashback to the first chunk of fights, maybe four fights, five fights, where he looked a lot more explosive. But then he also, and he looked good footwork at times and, and, you know, landing, like I said, a jab and then a right hand or a lead right hand then dipping. Other times, though, he'd just get clearly caught with some shots. 
And he's in better shape now because remember he used to load up so much and then he get kind of get tired in the rounds. You could see that wasn't the case. Of course, you know, it didn't go a full six rounds, but he's still in development mode. So, yeah, I saw some more explosion out of him. Um, but then again, he was still getting hit with clean shots and just say, well, the West is awkward, so that's why he's getting hit. Uh, I mean, if they were standalone shots like they were early in the fight where he just kind of – West would kind of leap at him and throw this weird combo. Getting hit by that, I don't mind as much. But like I said, sorry about that. I had to get something to drink. <clears throat> um, like I said, it, it was just uh, the combinations getting hit in exchanges that was kind of weird. Um, real quick before the, uh, I'm going to get in this main event, Justin DeLoach um, was basically on the ropes. In his career Remember a couple of years back On Showbox and I think FS1 As well He was knocking people out with some upset And then That kind of was short lived And he's been having a rough Go at it in the last few In the last two years Or whatever And He scored like a nice knockout Over uh, uh, you know an unbeaten Untested Navarro I think it's LeVon Navarro. Um, Navarro was fairly aggressive. I didn't expect him to come out that offensive, um, but he left himself open. Um, so that that's Deloach just landed just a, a, a nice compact right hand. Um, and it, it definitely hurt Navarro. He, was, he got up on unsteady legs. Another knockdown, and it was – there wasn't much there. It just kind of surprised me that that fight went that quick. But, you know, if the loach hits you clean, he's going to get you. <laughs> That's something that we know. But overall, um, you know, it's nice to see. I mean, this prospect, I didn't know much about him anyway. I'd only seen one of his fights. Um, and then maybe a quick highlight reel. So I, I wanted to really see, okay, well, let's see if the loach is just done. Or if he's got some more life, and hey, good for him, right? Good for him. Um, but Sean Porter and Formel, uh, the uh, Italiano-German. Um, um, but he, what was he, 22-0 and 0 or something like that? 23-0? and 0? I don't know. Wasn't he like the IBO guy? I think he was the IBO um, champ, big champ. He didn't win a round. And I'm not ripping this guy. This was a complete stay-busy fight. Um the things that Formella was doing was landing his jab. At times he showed like a jab, a right hand, and some good movement. He would kind of like, every once in a while in a round, he would get off enough for Porter to respect him um, and not just go full Pauli Malignaggi Porter on him. Although he tried to win spots, and that's kind of when he'd get tagged. But we know, you know, when he's in that, I'm hunting down and trying to knock you out, mode Porter. He tends to get hit with counter shots, even if it is Formella. So, you know, Formella is not a guy who has a lot of experience against good fighters. So he was getting thrown to the wolves. So definitely like a tough dude, the old tough customer line, right? He was a tough dude. He was game. You could see he had, he was all right. He, well, he had a really good chin. I'll give him that. Um, pretty good offense. Kind of light on his feet, but he just – it just seemed like when he get hit, 
like his whole head would, you know, you could see the whole reaction. It's like, ooh, ooh. But then all of a sudden he'd have these little moments and then spin away and, and force Porter to reset at times. So, um, but overall, you know what I mean? There were times that actually Porter got on his toes a little bit and, and was flashing that in and out combination style. And I, ever since he started doing that, especially with the, the Danny Garcia fight, you actually started seeing him in the Granados fight and Berto fight to kind of work on a different style, even against uh, Broner because of Broner's power at that time. He was a little casual, or not casual. He was casual late, uh, but he was a little little tentative, throwing his jab a bunch against Porter. Remember that a chunk of years ago? Um, but I don't know. Like, he kept pressuring him, you know, and he was controlling the fight overall. I mean, it, there wasn't. Land in flush shots and stuff. So um, Porter, you know, threw a fair amount more, 70, oh, 785 to 586, and then he landed 304 to 48. He landed 39%. So, But still landing 100, what did I say, 148? 148 shots is still something to, you know, I mean, it's still something. That's just going to hurt. Um, Clay Collard, by the way, got a um, – Got a victory, too. I forgot to uh, mention that. Um, And we have 13 minutes left of the live stream on this afternoon show of the Rope-A-Dope Radio podcast. 646-381-4990 is the number to call. That's 646-381-4990. So if you're listening to it in the browser and right around literally 13 minutes, it'll be only available on the telephone. All right, so um, what else? I think that I think that'll do it for recap. Of course, I know there was more fights than this, but I'm just not. There was that savage heavyweight dude who still needs to prove himself. Um, oh, Johnson and uh, Hernandez. This is was it cruiserweights or heavyweights? I think it was heavyweights. That's uh, he, he knocked him out. What the seventh or eighth round? I actually saw just some highlights. Of that attack, but there's really not much to that fight anyway, <laughs> right? I mean, Kevin Johnson won the fight. Okay, cool. Um, although maybe he'll be able to fit in that new um, 225, 200 to 225 weight class that the WBC's talking about. I'll talk a little bit about that. I think Tony Bellew has something to do with that. I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, that I think that covers a uh, recap. Um, let's see here. I actually got a couple of text messages. And I got a DM. Oh. <laughs> so I guess this person wanted me to lead the ratings. Like the first thing I'm going to talk about instead of the event is the ratings. Um, but I understand why, because this person isn't big on the PBC, no matter what they do. And they wanted to point out that uh, the UFC on ESPN, the card, um, actually averaged more than um, the Fox broadcast, which I actually thought had a chance to happen this week for a couple of reasons, because I remember they had a lead-in, like a healthy-ass lead-in, um, it was the uh, the uh, Houston OKC game. I remember that. 
Um, and actually, now that I mentioned this, ah, here we go. Perfect. So this is, uh, he didn't send it to me, but this is a screenshot of uh, Deuce uh, Rollins here. Just to add context to this, um, the UFC ESPN lead-in, there we go, the Rockets NBA. So that was the most watched program of the day on cable. Now, does he mean the demo most watched? Well, wait a second. Was the convention already done on Saturday? I kind of forgot. Because we know, I mean, news has been, convention or not, news has just been destroying uh, the ratings, (laughs) you know, obviously. But they did one point, so it could have been, cable demo i'm not totally sure he's the way it said the most watched program of the day of cable so so maybe it was you know maybe it was but the lead-in my point is the lead-in to a card that almost averaged that what was it 856 or something like that for for ufc something like that um so the person that originally DM'd me, they uh, they didn't send me the average of that, so I don't know that average. Exactly. Um, but 1.76, 1.7 million was the lead-in for the, the UFC uh, lead-in for ESPN. And I remember there was a lead-in for, and this is what Rollins is pointing out here, the lead-in for MLS soccer game, for the well, the lead-in for the Fox card, was 376. So 376,000 people on Fox watched the MLS soccer game. So, you know, that was 376 to 1.7 mil. That helps you a lot, um, let's say. And I'm not, I'm just pointing out facts. The whole card averaged 855 on Fox, which obviously is not good. <laughs> um, and if you look at the first two hours, I still don't know the peak number on that for the main event. Um, I do know just from the timing and from seeing some people talking about on Twitter that by the time the main event was on, that they uh, that I believe the other game, so the first hour was going head-to-head with obviously baseball and hockey and shit like that, which hockey did okay on uh, but the first hour, since you want to really talk about this, the first hour was going head-to-head with the NBA game. And then it went head-to-head on ABC. So literally, I don't know how it is in everybody, every other state, but that's literally here in Minnesota, Channel 5 and Channel 9 are literally right by each other. So you're going head-to-head with something that averaged like over $3 million, right? And, of course, the demo did really well because you're going against – well, I think it was the Lakers. Yeah, it was the Lakers-Portland that game, or that night. And, But I think that the main event snuck into where some of it was actually during halftime. So that may have helped a little bit. Like I said, though, I don't have the peak numbers. But just based off following ratings minorly, I'll say, <laughs> um, if you look at, you know, the fact that it averaged that, if you look at, like, the first, I guess my point is, if you look at um, that rating, that 855, the first two hours, because the the original rating did not have the main event in it, because a lot of times Fox, their main event starts right around 9 o'clock Central. 
So the news kicks in that helps them get a little bump. Um, but also, you know, they so 855 uh, or was the first 885 was the first one back. But it said, um, where the hell is it? God, I'm all, I'm all confused. But either way, so 869 was the main. The UFC ESPN 15 main card averaged 869 viewers at 9.03, it said. So that would have been 8.03 here. So that's when it started. Because the prelims, okay, I see why they're doing it. Because the prelims were on ESPN Plus. That's the key. So um, I get it. Okay, that makes more sense. So it did average more. Let's see what the peak number will be. Um, And the reason why I bring that up, because the first hour was like, 5.30-something, and this is the overnights on Sunday that they show. So you had like 5.30-something, 7-something, and to get up to 8 tells me that the main event peaked decently. Now, we'll end up seeing if it actually did or not, but that's just uh, that's just a little bit of, uh, you know, talk on that because um, someone did. Someone basically thought that I wasn't going to, cover the rating at all but i didn't have the peak rating so i was just going to vaguely talk about it um but yeah so eight okay it was eight ten see that's wrong maybe that's the main event but eight ten is what the whole card average for for uh boxing and then 869 is the ufc event but like i said we'll see um exactly where that peak but i i wasn't expecting much because, you know, in, in August, it's it's not really a great time, you know, in general. But at this time, there's never, you know, the NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs, you know, going. Usually it's just baseball, you know. So I, I was going to cover it. I just figured I'd cover the fight inside the ring before I cover it. So calm down, everyone, for, for, for who thought I was – uh, they probably thought I was ducking the rating or something like that. I actually thought that that would have a, a decent chance of happening. And by the way, 407, I'm going to go to you in a second. My switchboard was a little bit weird. Um, press one, so I saw you're on there, but just give me a little little time here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when you have a lead-in of one point what was it? Six million, seven million, whatever it was. And the other lead-in is three, you know, under four hundred thousand. Yeah, I mean that helps, dude. That does help. Just like a news bump at, at nine o'clock central, ten o'clock, you know, on the east. As far as when, you know, they don't. Fox doesn't do news in every single market, you know, because they don't have Fox News. I don't think not the cable, but the normal. They have that early news. Is my point. They have local news, and that's the, that's so. There you go. There, there's the ratings talk that somebody DM me because they thought I was ducking that the UFC beat Fox. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll see uh, what that Porter peaked at. Um, but either way, it's not really a shocker to be honest with you. If you pay attention to summer ratings sometimes and the competition, and, and yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really surprise me. I know that that may. That may make you think that I'm, you know, giving them a break or whatever. But, you know, if someone would have said, hey, do you think that's possible? I would have said, yeah, it is possible. Because of, basically because of the lead-in, to be honest with you. Uh, because that's not even a great number. They they should have probably averaged over a million with that, that uh, 
that lead in. But either way, it doesn't fucking matter. In the end of the day, we we touch upon ratings and then we move on. You know, do we highlight the great ratings after the Heisman show for ESPN? Yes. Some of the big ratings on Fox, yes, we do. But I'm not going to sit here and just get caught up in, oh, that happened or that happened. That's just, that's just silly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's not that surprising. Okay. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to go ahead. It looks like my switchboard's cool. 407, you are live on rope Radio. What can I do for you? How you doing? Yeah, I had a quick question about the show. <laughs> you know, I haven't tried the pine cone, um, but since you asked the question, you probably may know about it. So, I'll, thanks for the – that was probably the combo. It's either like a a combo where, you know, I don't think that was the person in, in my DM, but it could be a combo. You know what I mean? Sometimes people work in little groups. And uh, that's funny. Wow. And it it had to have been that because I just started talking about it. And they were probably mad that I somebody else um, somebody else screenshot something to me. <laughs> that's funny. Thanks for calling in. Um, but you got to come with something stronger. You know, I anticipated it. And I had that mute quickly. The switchboard's been uh, not freezing up, but it's been, like, delaying. So I wanted to make sure. That's why I, I was kind of lying to him about the switchboard that it wasn't working because I kind of anticipated that based off some shit that was going on, on Twitter. So that was good, man. That was good. That was good. You still have a minute to call in if you want to answer or ask a question that actually pertains. You can at least pertain it to boxing or call me out in some way. Whatever you're mad at me for or whatever it is, you could have at least brought some your evidence instead of pine cones and you know but anyway, it's cool. But yeah, asking that question tells me you have a little bit experience in that. Um but yeah, anyway that's kind of fun, though, because I like when people do that uh, from time to time. Now, at least he didn't bring up any kind of race shit or something like that. I'm seeing some people pop in right at the buzzer. Nice. Good call. Six seconds left. Get in. Six four six three eight one four nine nine zero. That was actually a bad thing to do right again. I, I apologize. Don't call that number now because you won't get in. <laughs> anyway, um, that is funny. Man, some people get so affected by this stuff. Um, okay, where am I at? Okay, so let's uh, let's break some down some of these fights down before we get the news. We still have about an hour left as far as the uh, archive. I call it kind of the archive stream because it gives you an hour, two hours live, hour on the back end. Obviously, I didn't go two hours live, but I scheduled it for three hours just in case, you know, sometimes you get random callers that want to listen to the show and then they, they call, you know, they press one and want to call in or talk or, or just shit talk you. Whatever you want to. Um, so obviously, you know, Arislani Lara is taking on another Italian dude from Germany. Then daddy or whatever the hell. No, I'm, just, I'm totally kidding. Uh, although am I, um, so Arislani Lara hasn't fought, actually, in about a year, now that I think about it, because he took off uh, Alvarez's, Canelo's brother, 
took out was it Ramon? He almost took, nearly took off his head in that fight. And I remember, God bless Alvarez that he was okay after that fight because that was a drastic mismatch. Um, but after that fight, a lot of Mexican fans because it was Cuban Mexican fans, and then there was of course just the the, the all purpose fans that the armor gets in general. Um, and it's it was funny, dude. Like he was. Just off that, like, the Mexican fan base in Canelo so strong that he was, like, when he was going down the catwalk back to his locker, you know, or his changing room, I should say, you know, he literally was signing autographs in the whole night. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. But the Cubans came out that night because that was the night I believe Frank Sanchez was on that card and, and Morrell, I believe, too. Anyway, I can't, I can't wait for that Armory back open. I, I want a Cuban night at the Armory. Um, but anyway – um, my point is Lara fought about a year ago and it looks like this opponent's not that far off. I remember he had back-to-back really tough fights with Castaño and Jared Hurd. So I didn't mind last year. It was a total mismatch, but I was like, whatever. You give me something interesting on the undercard, I'm okay. And we're in the same boat. Clearly they're lining Lara up for, hey, let's get you a fight. You haven't fought in a year. And then we're going to put him in someplace because he's, he's due for a big fight. Um, so this is a total stay busy fight for Lara. Um, probably just making one last run at some big fights, a big fight or two, but the true X Angulo crossroads fights. And I hate to sound like a broken record. It's skipping over repeating over and over, but these crossroads fights that we've gotten in the last couple of weeks, sign me up for them, dude. You know, when we heard Angulo and plant, a lot of people are like, what? No way. That's a slaughter. And then, because remember, it was Truax and Quillen were going to be, you know, fight for the Eliminator to fight Plant. And, you know, it's a good bet fight for him, whatever. You can think Plant's going to outbox these guys. That's fine. But it's not bad for him considering who he's fought lately, right? So, of course, you know, the cut happened. This was last year. I think it was in April. Cut happened on Quillen, or not on Quillen, but Truax, like, in the second round. Then Quillen met, or not Quillen, God, I keep saying that. But then Truax got him, got hurt. What he hurt is, was it his ankle, I think? I can't remember. But he got hurt pretty bad to where he had to go out. He, you know, he had to postpone the fight, just fall out. And sure enough, Quillen Angulo. And it looked like just, all right, they're going to put him in with Angulo because they want to put him in a main event on FS1. Angulo, people know him to an extent. Okay, cool. Then they'll fight Plant next. Well, you know, Angulo, in what was probably a top 20 fight of the year, randomly, um, it was actually a really good-ass fight. (laughs) But Angulo beat Quillen, dude. He he pulled the upset. And still people were like, I don't need to see him in there with Plant. I don't mind Angulo getting some extra money. But, man, that seems bad. Well, here you go. He's going to fight Truax. And I know, like I said, the winner of Quillen and Truax, people didn't have a major problem with that winner plant. So if Angulo beats, you know, Quillen and then Truax, I can't sit there and say, well, dude, he's going by the letter of the the rules of the IBS and all that. So, And we all knew prior to this that Benavides and Yildrum was going to fight, on, that's what we thought, because that's what it said for the WBC. Now, we didn't anticipate Benavides losing his belt. And that fight still could happen next, by the way. 
you know, if the Canelo situation falls through, they could call that next. And I know that Benavidez just, I just read on boxing scene that he requested to be ranked at 168 again. Um, because they ranked him, didn't they rank him like number one or something like that at 175, which isn't really that crazy to be highly ranked when you already had a belt when you go up in weight class. We see that a lot, but, um, you know, I mean, this is a crossroads fight. Neither guy's in his prime. Truax, you know, fought two rounds. Well, he actually did have a quick little fight. He tried to have a quick little. Did he actually? Because he had a fight scheduled. Then it kind of went away. One of them. I think he still had a fight, though, didn't he? Or did it? Did it? God, I can't remember now. I got This is the second time. Yeah, he did. Okay. So I was right this time. It was in January. So he literally hadn't fought in about, give or take, nine months. And then he fought earlier this year um, in a closer-than-expected fight, actually. Um, so to me, Angulo's going to be fresh. You know that. You know, um, as long as he stayed in shape, I suppose. And, you know, I think we just saw Angulo lost to uh, Mora, Sergio Mora. Decision, he lost to Freddie Hernandez. Um, Had that great fight with uh, Arislan Ibarra. That was 2013. But anyway, um, I I like the the crossroads thing, you know. Didn't look good in his last fight, uh, necessarily, Truax. Did get rounds, though, so that was important. And, you know, health-wise, it seems like he's okay now. But, uh, you know, like I said, I, I'm okay with this fight. It's not something that I'm I'm trying to say is just going to be the best fight of the, the weekend or anything like that. Of, co- of course, it could be a good fight, like a really entertaining fight. But anyway, um, actually, later tonight, Jeff Horn has a fight. And he's actually a minor underdog with Tim. Uh, God, what is his last name? Man, I am I am really hurting with last names today, um, or names in general, but especially last names. We'll just call him Costa Zoo. I know it's not Costa Zoo. It's got a spelling that has similar letters. How's that? <laughs> um, or we'll call him Timmy. Um, but anyway, Horn's going to fight on ESPN Plus later tonight. Or I should say, and so in about twenty-four or yeah, in, a, in about twelve hours, I should say. I think it's four a.m. Is it five a.m. on the East Coast? So you know, if you work the night shift and you're at work, you're slow, or you're getting home, like you work at a bar and you get home, maybe you could check it out. Might be a good ass scrap though. Might be the best fight of the, the week you never know. But the really one that I'm really eyeballing here. Ramirez and Postal. I like this fight. Postal, you know, obviously his claim to fame was beating Matisse. We don't know where Matisse, you know, after that, Matisse really wasn't the same. He wasn't really the same kind of after that Danny Garcia fight. He did box well against, was it Provoknikov, where he actually circled a little bit and, and fought probably the smartest fight we've seen in a while. <laughs> but Provoknikov was pretty much past it probably by that too because, you know, he ended up getting outboxed by Molina not long after. Um, 
But that was his claim to fame, Victor Polstock. Got a good, sharp jab, good right hand, good fundamentals, kind of a straight up and down, uh, in a sense, not a stiff fighter, but he's got that European, you know, upright um, stance. And he actually won the first round, I thought, against Crawford. And then he didn't really win many rounds at all after that. Crawford definitely separated himself from him. But then Taylor, that fight was a good fight. And maybe it was 8-4, to four, maybe it was 7-5, uh, to five, whatever you want to say. Uh, I did think Taylor did enough to win the fight. I'm not sitting there saying, oh, they need to have a rematch. That was bullshit or nothing like that. Um, Josh Taylor. But, you know, Josh Taylor, I think that was only like his, his like 12th or 13th or 14th fight at the time. And that was close. I think, like I said, I had it 8-4, to 7-5. to five. And that's also why I don't have Josh Taylor in my top 10 pound for pound because I think if you look at Crawford, who you at least have to put top five pound for pound, we can argue whatever you want to do, you know, wherever you want to put him. But he clearly separated himself in that unification, really lineal at the time as a lineal um, fight. He clearly did. Whereas Taylor, not so much. Now, if you gave Taylor, you know, 10 more fights, maybe before he fought him, maybe he would have, you know what I mean? So you got, you got to put that in, in there as well. Um, but you know, Taylor is almost like, he's like 29, 30 though. Right. So, I mean, if you gave him 10 more fights, who knows, you know, (laughs) you know, so I guess there is that way. Taylor Europeans and Eastern Europeans tend to come out of the, you know, amateurs at a little bit older age um, than, say, of course, the Mexicans, that's for sure, and even the U.S. fighters, especially of late. Um, this is a good fight, though. I think this is a really good fight. Ramirez, although it does seem like, man, the last probably since 2000, sometime in 2017, they started stepping up, stepping them up. He, he fought a... Uh, Undefeated fighter Reed, what is it, Mike Reed, um, took care of him real quick. Imam, you know, I thought he actually showed some pretty good skill with the Rosa as well. That Zapata fight, though, Jose Zapata, that was a barn burner. I believe that was, it was a majority decision, right? I don't think it was a split. But that was a good-ass fight, and uh, that was well over a year ago now because that was like February last year. So, um, you know, he's been out of the ring for over a year. So you wonder if that will actually play, you know, into something, you know, whereas his, uh, well, you know, his opponent's been out of the ring almost as long. So that kind of evens that out, um, I believe. Actually, let me check. When was Postal's last? Yeah, he fought. Okay, yeah. Actually, it took him longer. Yeah. He's actually been out of the ring longer because that was uh, April, late April 2019, whereas, you know, Jose did fight Hooker, I believe, in July um, last year. So he uh, – but he's still been out of the ring for a year. You know, the jump, though, from Zapata to Hooker, like the not the major jump, but just some of the things he tightened up on that you saw him tighten up, tighten up on – 
and, and even the Imam and the Rozo fights, the fact that he got to go the distance with some quality fighters really helped him. And I don't know if he it was just a style matchup or he, he just didn't take Zapata 100% serious once he got into the ring. I'm not talking about him training. I'm just talking about, you know, actually in the ring, like, I'm going to tear this guy up. And clearly that wasn't the case. Zapata freaking fought hard. And some people thought he won the fight. It could have been a draw. I will say that. Um, and since then, you know, Zapata, Zapata's done good. I mean, didn't he beat Pedraza last year? Um, I believe, right? I think he beat Pedraza last year. So, this is a good fight. This is a good fight. Um, and stylistically, you know, will Postal be able to actually move the whole time? That I don't know. We talked about Alvarez last week. And just because the guy's good in the middle, he's got good fundamentals. Puncher, accurate puncher, great jab. Really heavy jab. You can tell when he's landing. He's not just flicking it or whatever. Sturdy, sturdy fighter um, with Postal. And, you know, I, I just think, I think Ramirez will overwhelm him and land big enough shots uh, once he works himself inside. I just don't know, like I said, if Postal, because even against, say, Matisse, Postal wasn't on the move. I mean, can he pivot? Can he circle his opponent with slight foot movement? Yeah, that's what I think we'll see. That's what I think he's going to need to win this fight. But we're going to see, I mean, just how hard both of them were working <laughs> during the pandemic in their own private gyms and at home and, and just staying, you know, staying sharp, staying fit. But I could see the opening rounds kind of, I'm not going to go with all the way sloppy because both these guys are pretty professional. By the way, and this might piss off the top rank, you know, people too, or disown, whatever, you know, Eddie Hearn fanboys. Postal is actually with Heyman now, I believe. Like he's a, so this is actually a top rank PBC fight. Now, only when Eddie Hearn and, and Bob Arum do business, then it gets talked about, do we need to do this more? Because this is a quality fight. I mean, Postal is not some kind of, fringe uh, 28th ranked 140 pounder. He's a real deal. He gave Taylor a hell of a fight. Now, I understand after the opening round or two, he didn't do that, you know, with Crawford. But Crawford switches up on everybody. You know, we know with the southpaw orthodox, he can go back and forth, probably the smoothest in, in the world, right? But out of any boxer, more than likely. However, we didn't really see his outside game yet. And he showed it in post-all coming forward, trying to cut off a ring. Uh-uh, that didn't work. So comfort level, I think he's going to be more comfortable in this fight, for sure. Now, as far as Taylor will come to you, but he also would kind of use angles. He would kind of step to the side. And, and he, you know, I saw post-all using angles in that fight, too. And so that was a competitive-ass fight, like I mentioned. So, to me, I see this as right around the same, 8-4. to 7-5, could be 9-3 to three Ramirez if he hurt him in the fight, and that, that, that kind of changes Postal's 
whole thing or makes Postel kind of rage on him and maybe get caught with something bigger. I think it'll go the distance, but I have uh, Ramirez winning um, either uh, a unanimous decision or it could be competitive enough where on one of the scorecards, it could be like a majority decision. I wouldn't be surprised at that. Split decision, maybe. I mean, if, if it turns into a, a, a in-the-middle-of-the-ring brawl like that Zabata fight did, then any, anything, that, that's going to be tough. Because if he literally isn't pushing forward and jabbing enough and just trying to land big shots, Postal wants him to do that. You know, he, he wants to be in that middle of the ring. Remember when he knocked, um, was it a hook? When he not, maybe it was a nice stiff jab, but when he knocked Matisse down to that knee. And I know Matisse's eyes didn't really ever seem the same since the Garcia fight. Like, Matisse was in a bunch of tough fights, and then he fought Danny. Then he fought uh, Provoknikov, I think, after that. Even that Molina fight, at times he went life and death in that fight. So maybe, you know, our thought process at that time because of what he Postal did to Matisse, maybe he got skewed. But also I think it got skewed from that Crawford fight. Like, ah, uh, that was just whatever. He caught Matisse at the right time because he got dominated in that fight with Crawford. But I really think it's style. And I don't think we're going to see – well, I know we're not going to see Ramirez on the move like Crawford. But I think he'll get back to, you know, trying to land that jab, not, you know, clearing space, setting up um, the big shot rather than just trying to brawl. Now, there's going to be spots because Ramirez will brawl with him. So there's going to be plenty of moments, not even spots, but portions of rounds. And maybe it'll be half the round, you know. Um, but I'm looking forward to this one. Like I said, I got it about eight to four. Could see seven to five or a tighter fight. Could see uh, Ramirez. The thing is, once Ramirez got you hurt, he follows up with big freaking shots. Dude. Whether whether he like makes you submit to an extent or hold, or he just knocks you out like he did with Hook. Um, I wasn't high as high on Hooker as some other people. Personally, I think that he had already hit his ceiling with a couple of those draws. I think he got a gift decision in there. I'm not trying to rip hooker um, at all. But I thought, you know, Ramirez was a level above him. Now, I actually think Postal is a minor level above hooker as well. So that's why I'm calling for a really competitive fight. And it's not, I mean, hooker fought really well against Ramirez for a while. He just ended up getting stopped. And like I said, when Ramirez goes for the kill, but both these guys are disciplined. But when he goes for the kill, man, he can end it quickly. But I think that uh, Postal's jab, I think he's, I think the jab, and especially if he's on his angles, and like I said, the little pivot stuff, got a pretty sturdy, uh, decent, like, high guard. This is going to be a good fight. This is going to be a good fight. Now, timing is going to be key. For both of them, of course, but especially Postal. And when you've been out of the ring as long as he has, you know, maybe a come-forward fighter actually has a minor advantage in being out of the ring, you know, because both of them have been out of the ring. But like I said, it actually, uh, you know, it's been a little bit longer, maybe a, an extra month or whatever. So, um, 
But yeah, this is gonna be a good fight. I'm looking forward to this fight. Okay, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about some news that's going on. We'll start with Keith Thurman because we talked about that last week. Keith went off on that show, and uh, you know he basically was just going off on. Uh, oh, you don't think I'll send the the, the contract? Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention. Let's let's calm down. Let's calm down a little bit. I forgot to mention this. Now, maybe I'm talking Postal up a little too much. I don't think I am. I think he can win for a round. However, it's worth mentioning here that Victor Postal in some places is a plus 475. Now, you can put... I, I mean... I'm going to put some money on it regardless, just because. I do this kind of like I did with Povekin last week. But even if I put that same money, it would obviously be more of a payoff, because I believe I got that at like a plus 10 or something like that. And uh, this is plus 475, I got it. And I've seen it a little lower. I haven't seen it much higher. Um, but just, just a heads up, for those that, think people are sleeping on Postal in this one or or think the things that happened in that Zapata fight and maybe even a fight that, you know, a while back that he got dropped in and because I know a lot of people for a while kind of stuck Ramirez to him getting dropped and looking bad in a fight, um, which is going to happen, especially when, you know, where he was at that, you know, that level of being, being developed back then. So um, something to think of. I'm just going to put that out there. Something to think about. Um, so, so this is kind of a combo deal here. Um, <laughs> so Thurman, right? So we'll talk about Thurman in a second, but this is actually from Boxing Scene today, not this morning. Um, so Terrence Crawford versus Kelly, Kelly Brook. Kel, Kel Brook negotiations underway, says Eddie Hearn. Which is like, oh, they're fully under the way? I thought they'd been going on for like the last couple of weeks or months. That's why you can't 100% believe promoters in general, obviously, but especially Bob. you really got to kind of decipher what he's saying there. Um, so this is what Eddie said. He said, I had a couple of conversations with Bob and Moretti yesterday, um, and I feel that it's a big fight for UK TV, so we're trying to help out and get that over the line. Uh, I would love to see Kell Brook at that fight. I think Top Rank had a conversation with Thurman. Obviously, he wants too much money. We'll get into that. It's difficult at the moment. Crawford wants a lot of money. Kell wants a lot of money. He deserves it. Uh, we're trying to make the fight happen to assist Top Rank in getting the numbers together. So, if they're now only getting into serious negotiations, Obviously, Bob is kind of misled, has misled us a little bit. Now, he, to be fair, he did have, you know, the Teofimo stuff going on and all that. Um, and some other fights that they're working on that I'm really excited about as well. But it's kind of like, really, dude? Okay. Um, whatever. <laughs> like, if that's what you're going to say, Cool. I, I thought you guys were talking for the last at least two to three weeks, but I really hope that at least that fight gets made. I, I really do, actually. 
feel like they've got to at least make that fight. Um, is it a is it a perfect fight? Is it is it is it Thurman? Is it Porter? No, it's definitely not. It's not Porter. But you know, it, it's still a good fight. Obviously, the Kell Brook thing is the 147 thing. He fought over over three years ago, right? 2017. I believe that fight was in May, if I remember correctly. That's a long time. And remember, after that fight, he said, there's no way. I'm done. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to try to make that weight anymore. Um, so that's the only drawback is, man, 147, can he make it after he fought at 54? But he hasn't even fought a lot anyway. So didn't he fight some DeLuca dude his last fight? I think it was DeLuca from Palooka. No, I don't I don't know where the hell he's from. But anyway, um so that that's a little weird cuz it's like, oh, so you now are just getting serious? Well, it sounds like the Pacquiao was never serious. Uh so the Pacquiao Porter or Crawford fight because there was no sight views from Dubai or overseas or anything. And then, you know, and, and Aram admitted it much, he admitted it. So I don't know. It's just kind of weird. But, um, and like I said, I'm not going to come out and rail against this fight. I, I definitely would because it's still a really good fight. It's still a good name, I should say. It just, it's really, it's it's kind of sad that he get killed now when he, he's sworn off 147 three years ago. So now all of a sudden, so you had all these problems back then, and now you're going to make the weight? It just seems like it's not, I don't know. I just don't know if he's going to make it. But who knows? But my point is with Keith Thurman. So the first rumor put out there, and this was like from a well-known fanboy who basically works for the company, Top Rank, said, it actually was funny because he said he was only 5 mil. Because then you're like, 5 mil? Like, I know there's no uh, fans, you know, to, to create a healthy gate, which it would Thurman and Crawford, but... Still, Thurman's worth more than Khan, and Khan got more than that. So, but then we heard 10 mil. Now, we haven't heard the exact number. <clears throat> Crawford did say 10 million, though. And so he would know better than other people. Um, but instead of, you can still send shots at a fighter, but you can also send a counter offer and begin negotiating. And if anything, maybe it would help you in this current negotiation going on, I don't know. But um, Aram automatically shot down. He said, oh, you know, I remember talking about this last week, that the uh, you, uh, you're out to lunch. They're out to lunch, which is a funny line um, with, their, with their number. But like I said, so you're just going to shoot it down? And it's not like he said it was a, a, a take it or leave it. I'm not saying that. You know, there's a possibility it was like that, but you'd think that if that was in the offer when they called, hey, here's the take it or leave it, we're not doing the fight for less than $10 million. Go fuck yourself if you offer. You know, if that's what they're on, take it or leave it, that's cool, but wouldn't Bob say that? Bob does, you know, he's not, he's not really going to mix his words. He says what he wants to say, and nobody's going to do anything about that, right? We know that about Bob, so... For him to be like, oh, they're bullshit. They don't want the fight. Okay, but why don't you just send back, you know, I mean, if you're going to say, hey, this is what we want, are you going to send 
five million or three million, and then once they agree to that, be like, all right, now let's agree to a higher amount. No, you're going to send the biggest number, ten million or whatever it is, and then maybe they'll send five to you. Then they go eight. Then you know, I don't know. I'm not saying they'd budge. I don't know if they'd budge or not. But to me, once again. Why don't you say, since they actually called you, and I'll give them credit, you know, when the top-ranked side, was it Moretti? I think it was Moretti that called Danny Garcia's dad, who's not his manager. It's not even like Crawford and Bomax, where Bomax Crawford's manager. At least you send it to the manager. But we know they didn't send it to Al when they, they offered Danny Garcia the fight. It was like Moretti's way like to say it's a press. It was basically a press run, but also he managed to throw a shot in there saying, well, just so we know that Danny gets to see the number amount as, as if Al wouldn't let him see what he was getting paid. You know, it's kind of, but, but it, it sets up for a media run because remember when they offered it, Danny had just lost to Porter, you know, and then they also were talking, well, Porter's a good fight. But then all of a sudden that went away. So my point is, if someone's – now it's back-to-back weeks where we hear Gary Russell Jr. sent an offer, or maybe it was the same thing like, hey, this is what it's going to take to get me to ESPN. I don't know. The way Gary said it on that audio, he said offer. I don't know if he meant that. This one did sound like – this is what it's going to take. Do you want to? Do you want to start to look at this fight, Thurman and Crawford? And so for Bob, why don't you call their bluff, Bob? Why don't you say, all right, well, we're we're, we're going to see if they're just bullshitting us or if they really want to make a fight. So we actually are going to counter offer and try to start the negotiation. But the first thing you do is jump online and go to an interview and say, no, nah, that's nonsense, that's telling me you don't want the fight. Now, I'm not saying, oh, he's going to lose or whatever, but I'm not saying he's afraid Crawford's going to be afraid. He's afraid to put Crawford in with Thurman. I'm not saying that, but they even said not long ago that they don't want to put Crawford on pay-per-view until Spence. It really seems like they want to get Crawford to Spence because they didn't really make a, a, a real – they didn't send an offer to Al Heyman, Danny Garcia. That's who he's represented. Everybody knows that. So when you don't send an offer, and then you don't send offers for anything else, and you don't even, you know, negotiate, then it's like, all right, dude, well, you know, I'm not saying it's a realistic fight that it's going to happen, and I'm not saying they go down in their number hugely and to try to make the fight. That's not what I'm saying. But you might as well call their bluff. Because right now, that's what Thurman did, you know. Because in that interview on the Custer podcast, he, he read a tweet back when uh, they were talking about that, that the fight came up. And I think he read a tweet uh, from Crawford saying, or maybe when he was on the show. I think that was after, though. But, you know, it was the tweet that said, hey, I think I read it last week, that you know, you wouldn't even know what to do with the contract. You probably, if, if we sent the contract, you'd probably be scared of it. Whatever. You'd probably duck it. But then they send saying, hey, let's get these negotiations going. Here's the starting number. And then you don't follow through. Call their bluff now. And that's where it's 
like I'm saying, because of Al Heyman sending this stuff doesn't mean the fight would get done for sure. That's not what I'm saying. But at least play the hand that's dealt and, and see it to the end and then go out and rip them saying, oh, they don't really want the fight. But to not do that and just to say it, that, that just it's a track record. After a while, how many times, you know, can this happen? You know, when Porter beat Garcia, Porter wasn't a good enough opponent because it wasn't going to make money. But they wanted Danny Garcia. Then Porter fought really well last uh, fall against Spence. Now, all of a sudden, they used Porter's name a lot. Well, they held off on Porter, not just because of the friendship between Crawford and Porter, which they can get over, but then they looked at Pacquiao like, fuck it, let's try Pacquiao. Let's try a Kelbrook fight. Let's just do it, you know? So, I mean, I know some people say, oh, you know, the chinny thing on Crawford, I understand. He did get dropped in his last fight. Gamboa did hurt him. Beltron hurt him. Whatever. But my point is, he's not, neither guy are afraid of fight. But at least, I mean, I don't know. It, it just seems like it's not surprising to me, but I just hate that the media doesn't call it out from time to time because – Look what Bob did not even a week or two ago, or two weeks ago, to his own fighter, Teofimo Lopez. He started, he was ripping him, ripping him. All of a sudden, ESPN came up with a couple hundred thousand dollars, and that fight's good to go. And then he's trying to patch it up. And, and Teofimo's still kind of pissed off. Like, dude, they were, they were talking shit. They even, on Teofimo's birthday, were saying he's ducking the fight, basically. And it's like, wow, dude. Your own representation. It's just, it's a track record. And like I said, the media doesn't talk enough about it. Anyway, um, and Bo Mack, of course, got involved talking about how this is a little while back. I don't even think this was exactly last week, but Bo Mack, the manager of uh, Crawford, you know, he was, uh, this is his post. See, if they wanted to fight, he'll. He'll have Al send, oh, if they really wanted it, they'd have Al send the contract with a boatload of money. Well, wouldn't that be a boatload of money that they that they had not offered, but they actually sent as, hey, this is what we need? <laughs> um, but, yeah, he, he had some things basically saying that um, Al doesn't have the money to put up. Thurman doesn't have a promoter, so we can't make the fight, which is just like a cop-out. Um, yeah, but he doesn't, he, he don't have the, he doesn't have a promoter to put the money up because Al ain't putting shit up. That's basically what he said. So it's kind of like, okay, so Al never puts up money for fights, huh? Is that, that's what you're saying? Gotcha. <laughs> that just sounds so stupid. You know what I mean? Cause obviously we know he's put up some of the, he's put up some of the biggest purses. That wasn't all the network. You know, I mean, they had to come with the extra money, didn't they? It wasn't all Showtime. That Showtime guarantee was, what, 32 a fight, but then it went up. So it is kind of funny. It is kind of funny. Um, so, yeah, um, that's about it. Like I said, I don't want to go in on that. I'm not saying anybody's ducking anybody, but it just, it's, it's just Bob Arum keeps doing this stuff. If we're going to, at times, rightfully be uh, a critic, of the PBC and having their fighters fight off their platform and praise Eddie Hearn and uh, Bob Arum for coming together for fights. Well, one, 
then we should at least minorly praise the post-all PBC in the, in the Ramirez fight because that is a, a PBC top-ranked connection. And we should say, okay, well, now that they are contacting them about the fight, then let's, let's be fair about it. You know, that, that's, that, but of course that's not going to happen. But I'm just pointing that out. Now, Regis Progray did sign. Well, when he said he signed with the PBC, I'm hearing it's just a one-fight deal, so it does kind of keep him open. And at 140, you figure he was going to go with top rank at 140 because, you know, there is plenty of action there. Um, But then in the same breath, if he was going to only fight once or twice and then maybe move up, Obviously, PBC at welterweight is where you want to be. And another thing is, he's already fought Taylor, so he may not get that rematch. And then, you know, if Ramirez comes through with Postal and and, and Taylor comes through with his fight in September, they already have a plan to to unify that division. You know, they already have a plan to fight Taylor and Ramirez next. So we've already heard Bob talking about it, and, and Bob has you know, a chunk, I think he has Taylor. I don't know if it's all Taylor, but I know he represents them. He promotes them. And then obviously as, uh, you know, Ramirez. So do you really think they're going to put him in another tough fight? So go from Postal to Taylor and then fight Progray before they fight Crawford. Because obviously we know, you know, Bob's been angling at that Crawford-Ramirez so my guess is they're probably not going to. Now, they have some other talent there at 140. But money-wise, you know, I, I don't know. I don't. Maybe it just wasn't, you know, all that. I don't know. Maybe it was better money. I don't know. Um, but at 140, let's say then you're not going to, you know, if Taylor loses, he's probably not going to take out Progray next after a loss, Right. And like I already explained, the Ramirez is probably going to move into 47 and fight Crawford. So why would they do that? It really doesn't make sense. So, you know, getting a fight, which he's going to fight Heraldez, I think I talked about that last week, is pro gray. And I'm pretty sure this is just a one-fight thing. But they said after he split ways, um, you know, he parted ways with DiBella, that he had a top-ranked offer. In fact, Moretti said we, we had some conversations Carl Moretti um, conversations about signing him. We just couldn't come to an agreement, and I guess they just preferred to take the other offer. Now, remember, um, it could be a wait and see, because from what I'm hearing, it's a one-fight deal. So he could get this fight, and then they could see, well, are they going to actually make that Taylor fight? Or Adrian Broner is due to fight in January, well, you fight in November or whenever he's going to fight or October and then take out Adrian Broder at 140 next. And I, that's, a, that's actually a big fight for him. And it actually will get some name recognition for him. No matter what you think of Broder, that's fine. We, you know, there's plenty to talk about. <laughs> but, you know, that's actually a good fight. It's not that bad of a fight. So, <clears throat> and it, like I said, it's still... It can help you. If you look good against Broner, it'll get you a nice rating. It'll get you some notoriety. So it's not that bad of a move. And then you can go to 47, and it's really up to you with what you want to do with it at 47. 
Uh, so that's a little bit of news. Um, I'm going to talk about kind of quickly. I'm going to talk Eddie Hearn. I'm going to talk Frank Warren because he said something about Fury and Wilder has to be done in 2020, which is like, well, they already have a February date just in case. So that kind of, I don't know if there's going to be contract issues with that. He also talked about, well, Fury's going to want to fight if they push back the fight again. I'll, I'll play the audio. I'm also going to play a little audio about Wilder and Eddie Hearn saying something, and then a couple of another uh, quick little audio clip from Eddie Hearn talking about if the possibility of White and Povekin could be on an undercard, which I, I don't think it's going to be, but he'll, he'll explain that. Um, but real quick, this zone Canelo thing is getting out of hand. And we know that, you know, they've actually gone above the zone to the owner, <laughs> the billionaire, many times over. And so zone I'll cover a little bit about zone as far as what they're doing, not just Matchroom, zone USA, right, but zone in general. But obviously, this doesn't have a ton to do with that. So it's got to be a mixture of stuff with the zone. Because um, they reorganized, like I said a couple of weeks ago, they reorganized some stuff. And they're trying to look into some non-live stuff, too. But they're looking for a lot more money. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, which I think makes sense in a lot of ways. It also, I don't know, there's a lot going on, especially with Matchroom USA and their schedule. Now, maybe they just haven't put it out. Maybe the zone's just really busy. <laughs> Obviously, even with their the Campbell, you know, the Campbell-Garcia fight got done. So that's going to be on. I don't know. That's going to be the U.S. though, right? So that's technically, you know, match room. So that's good. But it's Golden Boy match room. But it's the zone USA. That's a damn good fight. Um but this Canelo Yildrim thing, maybe, like I mentioned earlier, maybe, I think I mentioned this right, maybe they put out this, maybe they said, hey, let's, let's go for that WBC belt, because the WBC came out and said, well, they requested this fight. Because remember, the second that WBC belt was up, when Benavidez lost it on the scale, and the fight was over, uh, because, you know, technically, uh, Angulo had a chance to win it in the ring. We know there'd be a lot of camps sending their request to fight for the belt. Canelo won it, obviously. But I wonder if, because the rumor was out there that they literally only, well, they want big fights. Callum Smith is a quality opponent, obviously, at 168, right? And the zone was still trying to pay. This is reported from a source that and I think it's Idic and a couple other folks, um, Dan Raphael, I think as well, that literally they were going to ask him to take a pay cut for Callum Smith. And I don't know. I, I thought Golden Boy and Canelo got more money off the car or off the live gate than the zone. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But they can still operate. They can still do the launch in the UK with Callum Smith. That's a great fighter for it. They can still do the beta launch in all these countries worldwide that they planned on doing. I, I just So you're going to pay half of what Canelo's contract tells you 
not for an easier fight like Yildrim or whatever, the rumored Anthony Durrell, but for Callum Smith. So it's no wonder, you know, why they want to go over to zone and be like, hey, dude, these guys don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Like, I have a guaranteed contract, and they want to cut it. Like, they approve Callum Smith, but only for half of the money you're supposed to give me, my, my minimum guarantee. It's like, what the fuck's going on? So it does make you think there's some major things going on when it comes to the zone USA. And not just matchroom to zone USA, but just the zone here. We we got a great picture of what's going on with them worldwide. Whether it's letting go of some rights here, whether it's selling a stake in their Japan uh, subscription, whether it's adding more you know, big soccer events in Germany, which they did and got rid of some other stuff in a, you know, in a different part of the, the world. So that they're reorganizing and all that. But I mean, how couldn't, I don't know if Callian Smith was really on the table. I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe Callian Smith to get way more money off of Canelo only getting 17 mil. Sure. But it's just crazy. It blows my mind. Anyway, could there be a lawsuit? Could there be, you know, grounds for getting out of it? You know, getting out of the contract. I'm not a lawyer, but you'd assume that if they're trying to, you know, play with your money, that they'd have some sort of notice. Um, but here's a funky little thing that was kind of funny out of nowhere. Um, so Yildrum. His trainer, who is shady as hell, by the way, his, uh, his trainer, his manager, came out of nowhere talking about the purse bid. Well, we're going to try to get the purse bid. In fact, I've uh, contacted, I've already contacted, and this is, uh, I think it's on- Onyer, I think Onyer is his name. Um, he's already contacted Al Heyman, and they're going to try to stage negotiations or try to win the purse bid to have it on Showtime. It's just kind of like, what's going on? And, you know, this guy says, you know, they didn't, they don't, ex- like, they don't accept, oh, DeZone doesn't accept the Yildrum as an opponent. Uh, but, he, like you said, he contacted him, and we're going to try to negotiate, negotiate with him. Or go to purse bid. He said his partner, meaning Al Heyman, in the TV sector is Showtime. If no agreement is reached by September 22nd, which is less than a month away, the fight will be auctioned off. We're going to bid $40 million for that. <laughs> now, there was some talk about, well, the zone, you know, what, what uh, a sanctioning belt says for a purse bid and then what actually takes place, you know, in contracts. It's not going to be as easy, you know, as they say. We know DAZN doesn't want that fight. They already said they don't want the fight. But Dan Raphael and other people came out and said it's not that easy. We can't just, uh, you know, he they he has to fight on his own platform. But if they're screwing him with the money, that's where it gets interesting. Because you're like, well, okay, but doesn't that mean something if they're already trying to screw him? I, I don't know, but... You know, the way, you know, uh, a couple of folks that aren't lawyers, by the way, 
but at least have more experience. They made it sound like, nah, dude, you know, whatever an organization is going to say, whatever a person is going to say, that's fine and everything like that, but that has nothing to do with the actual contract. And so, which, you know, it does kind of make sense. Um, but, yeah, dude, <laughs> I don't know, man. But Dan Raphael made it known that that's not going to happen, basically. That, that's, that's his point of view. Okay, um, but it, no matter what, I don't understand why they cut Canelo's money so much. I understand you're trying to save some money and you don't want to spend as much because you lost your subs, but you have a contract, you know? So I, I don't know. It's it just, it's kind of funky. And they, like I said, they're, they're doing a variety of things. They're actually seeking upwards of a billion dollars with a possible IPO or they're going to continue to sell off some assets. They were talking about um, selling a stake in, like I mentioned, that Japan business, which a while back it was reported that it had over a million subs. I'm sure it has more now. Um, they had, There was a previous report of them selling the, that goal soccer platform, um, but they could pursue the, the SPAC model and go public. Basically, they're kind of all over the place. They were already trying to raise about $500 million before, but now it's up to a billion. And even if they have to go the option where they're listed in the stock market, they're willing to go with the special purpose acquisition company or the initial public offering. They're considering it. They're in the early stages. So, like I said, they did sell off. Um, that gold thing is uh, that gold.com, that soccer website, they're seeking as much as $125 million. Um, but that U, UEFA Champions League soccer rights in Southeast Asia, they got rid of that, but then they doubled down on soccer in Germany. So, you know, a lot of things going on worldwide. It looks like, like I said, the non-live programming they're investing in. So, so we're going to kind of see where this leads, but it kind of throws me off that I can understand not being okay with Yildrum. I get that. But to cut Canelo's money in half to fight one of the best opponents he could fight, I mean, Kelly Smith, there's not a bunch of people. You couldn't say there's three or four guys that should be ranked ahead of him at 168. Now, what happens in the actual ring? Sure. But just that Groves win alone, and I know Groves was, you know, not 100% because of the injury, and they had to, you know, push that off. Either way, Callum looked damn good in that fight. So he should probably be number one ranked. No one should be lineal. No one should be anything like that. But he should be near the top of the rankings. I don't care what you think of him once he fights a Benavides or a Plant or whatever, Cadello. But it's a quality opponent. You got Golovkin, you got a handful of guys at 160 and 168 that are what you'd say is a really solid opponent, and they'd be willing to pay, and they'd accept it. But it sounds like they accepted it only if he takes half pay cut. That's crazy. All right, not much left time, or not, not much time left. Man, I'm just all over my words, probably because I stayed up way too late last night. All right, so I'm going to play something that Eddie Hearn said. That's a little, it's kind of like, really? Really? Like, so that, you really mean that? You, that's what you're going with. 
so so this is what um this is actually a clip here uh let's see here we go AJ in the box since December last year, so he must fight this year. But I do expect Deontay Wilder to take that rematch. You know, I, I can't see... Oh, shit, I fucked it up. If he doesn't yeah. take the rematch, he's not going to get another shot at the title. So he might as well retire if he doesn't take the rematch because it shows you his appetite, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm pretty sure... I'm rewinding that real quick. No, I can't see... If he doesn't take the rematch, He's not going to get another shot at the title. So he might as well retire if he doesn't take the rematch. I mean, he might as well retire. So that means what? That means he couldn't get a title shot from Joshua ever? He might as well retire? Like, wow, I understand there's a lot of hate between the camps and stuff, but really? Here's what he said about the uh, chances which are would be slim, uh, with White and Povekin being on the undercard as a crazy co-feature. Well, I'm quite sure I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Well, they were wondering, wondering whether or not it was Boxing White Povekin on the Joshua Pulev undercard on a super pay-per-view. <laughs> but when you say super pay-per-view, does that mean that you just spend three or four million more than you would normally and hope that you make it up in bites. It doesn't really work like that, you know. Um, I think that it's it's always a question of why don't you just put three fights on and uh, but it doesn't work, that doesn't translate in the bias. You know, Joshua always does huge numbers. You know, him and Fulev will do, I don't know, 700,000 bites. Something like that, right? And then if you add white Povetkin, yeah, you might do an extra hundred or two hundred thousand. But really, for me, judging by the figures of the weekend, we will do four hundred thousand. You know, I- so there's another promoter saying that the co-feature in the end is not worth it. We've heard Bob Arum and others say that in the past. So just wanted to put that out there. That would be a bomb co-feature. It also give them a little bit more time. But I'm still kind of stuck up on the time anyway for him speaking of time we don't have much left i am going to oh whoops shoot oh no did i lose it did i screw it up no i didn't okay so anyway um this is actually warren talking about uh stuff here will then have a voluntary if they want it of course you're going for the aj fight so just talk to us a little bit about that first of all tyson fury versus deontay wilder free does that have to happen in 2020 frank it's contracted to happen, but it can only happen if we can obviously generate the income to ensure that it happens. And I think all the parties concerned are working on that to try and make it happen. First two fights were in America. Is it, is it dependent on whether crowds can go to America? Would you be open? I know you've had offers from the Middle East or the Far East. I, I have no idea at this moment where it could go on. I mean, this, we're in a pandemic. No one knows what's going on in any country. Countries are getting... Anyone on to say... Um, he went on to say that, you know, Fury might, we're just running out of time, basically, but um, that Fury might even end up taking a fight instead. <laughs> so kind of kind of weird there. Um, we'll see, because remember, they said that February date is something that they're willing that they, they have designed to push back already. So we'll see. Um, let me see here. Um, we only got a minute left. Uh, Navrete and 
uh, Vila will fight for the WBO because Magdanella wasn't happy with the money. I think it was going to be like $100,000 or something. Here's that news. WBC announced Tony Bellew in charge of a committee with a possible creation for a new weight class between cruiserweight and heavyweight, uh, hypothetically 225 limit. Yeah, that's all we need. Oh, Inoue uh, Maloney sounds like it is signed. Bob Arum confirmed uh, for November. The WBA and WB or WBA and IBF, I think, is on the title. So or on the on the line. So that's a good fight, good backup there. Um, oh, it sounds like Progray with the Heraldas will be on the October 24th tank in uh, Santa Cruz. Um, and also, I forgot to mention this, speaking of Hooker, Hooker, they're talking about maybe Hooker with Jose Tito Lopez on the undercard, which would be a fun fight, of Spence and Garcia, November 21st, because Hooker signed a multi-fight deal after the release uh, with Matchroom and Rock Nation um, with the PBC. So it's multiple. So it's, it's about to cut me off. Sometimes it waits a little bit, so I'm going to wait. Here's some good news. Burchell and Oscar Valdez, November 7th and 14th is what they're working on. The negotiations, it's looking good. They're kind of in the middle of it right now, but that's a good sign. That's a really, really good sign. And like I said, it's about to cut me off. Here's what uh, Raphael said about that Yuldrum thing in the, you know, showtime. Network contracts supersede sanctioning orders. Yuldrum team could win the purse bid for Canelo fight, but Canelo cannot participate in any kind of bout unless the zone airs it. This whole Yildrum order is meaningless unless the zone is willing to do it. Everything else is noise. That's after the rumors, like I said. Now, I mentioned that Garcia Campbell, first bid canceled. It is on in November. They don't have an exact date, but it's going to be in the U.S., so that's pretty dope. Really excited about that fight. That's going to be a good fight. And I'll just do some uh, – oh, here's uh, Boxing Twitter. Sean Porter, a very impressive Saturday night. He showed a variety of offense against Formella, Formella, who was tough as nails. Porter solidified his current standing as a top five welterweight. He's already done that. He didn't need that fight. He didn't need that fight to, to, uh, to do that in my way. All right, we're out of here. Peace. Have a good night. Or have a – yeah, have a good night. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in DC. Almost half of DC's traffic fatalities come from impaired driving. These deaths are 100% preventable. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. Never drive impaired. DC police are arresting drunk and drugged drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. A message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department.